please remain risen and receive the reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 21. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watch. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he, set, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned yet another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now, when the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyards to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, it will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him but they feared the crowds because they regarded him. Receive what the Spirit is saying. We invite you now together with all of us who are here in our sanctuary to pray together. Break into our souls. Move among us, O oh God. Help us to be present and grounded in your grace so that your word might be received because of me or in spite of me today. Together as your people, longing for a word from you and a way to live more fully into the lives to which you call us. In Jesus' name, amen. Martin Luther, sometimes you have to squeeze a biblical passage until it leaks the gospel. It's widely agreed by scholars and preachers that our parable from today has a high level of difficulty. It's filled with violence. It's been interpreted to support violence against Jewish people. When read as an allegory, 
possible to surmise that God is just as violent as the people in the story. It both alludes to the ancient song of the unfruitful vineyard in Isaiah 5 and like to unjust economic practices of Jesus' own time. There's a lot going on in there. Is there any gospel to squeeze? It's important to place the parable in its context. The day before Jesus tells this parable, he was kind of busy staging a nonviolent public action, entering riding on a donkey. We call that day Palm Sunday. That moment was a prophetic sign of protest and a challenge to those who march into the city in other ways, who march on horses with chariots and armor, armies and banners and all of the signs of oppressive empire. Jesus then proceeds to flip the tables of the money changers in the temple, calling out practice upon the poor. He went into the temple and cured those who came to him for healing, and this, you would think, would make the religious leaders glad, but rather it made them mad. He left town that evening and on his way out of Jerusalem, cursed a fig tree because it was not bearing fruit and probably cursed it just out of sheer frustration. He returned day, and as he's teaching, his authority is questioned, and after he summarily shuts down that challenge, he then tells a series of parables, each of them difficult in their own way, parables that speak or losing life in the kingdom of God. Our parables number two. In this whole part of the story, Jesus is fed up. He's angry. And in all of the gospel accounts, you'll find that Jesus was never afraid to use strong language and hyperbole to get his point across. He's trying to get through to the people, trying to help people live the faith and hope and love of the kingdom. He's trying to get people to change and to change the way that they've always done things or to change things are always done. Jesus is trying to get folks to turn the page to a new chapter in God's work of love in the world. Jesus is trying to make big changes, and that is hard. There's a cartoon taped to the window of my office door here at Foundry. I can't remember who from among the to me. It's been there a long time. The image in the cartoon is just one square, one frame. The image is of a group of people sitting around a conference table. And a couple of the folks at the table are looking down at their paper, and one of the people sort of looking like not trying not to catch anyone's eye. And then there's one woman who speaks up and is speaking evidently to the pastor and says, we're hoping that you'll lead us on a journey of transformation with re without requiring any 
Every congregation and caring community will exhibit this dynamic. In our heart of hearts, we know that to truly thrive over time, to grow and to deepen our experience and our impact as followers of Jesus, to change um, the world as we seek to do here, we know that change and transformation is needed. And yet there is always resistance to making changes to what has become our established mode. We know some of the obstacles. One biggie is habit. Others like fear, stubbornness, a sense of comfort and familiarity, or perhaps inertia in the face of All of these things are powerful, and they're difficult to overcome. You may have heard me tell of the time when, at one of my churches, some leaders decided that to assist with the flow of persons, we should shift the usher's table from one side of the entryway to the other side of the entryway. This seemed like a really, really smart decision. Now, you would have thought that we had gone into the sanctuary us upside down, and that when we asked people to pray, we asked everyone to yodel. I mean, the whole place lost their mind. We were moving an usher's table from one side of the way to the other side of the entryway. I'm not making this up. Hmm. I don't remember where it landed. (laughs) There's something about our sacred spaces, our our faith communities, that heightens the intensity of resistance. Every image, every object, every ritual gets connected to some aspect of our own experience. And so it can feel really unsettling, even sacrilegious, for things to change. But see, Jesus was preaching and teaching and embodying change everywhere he went. It's kind of what he was about. He was not asking people to lose their religious lives or their practices, but rather to reframe and to deepen them according to the call to love and mercy and justice and humble service. He wasn't calling for one group to win and another group to lose, but was rather determined to inspire a way of living together in mutuality and support and peace with justice that was life-giving for everyone. Jesus was not afraid to call out the perpetrators of violence, but he did not seek to destroy them but only to inspire them to turn toward the kingdom of God. But what about this parable? Well, there is historical backstory to Matthew's overly negative perspective on the chief priests and Pharisees that I don't have time to get into today. But I will say that it is true that in this section of Matthew's telling of the story, Jesus is in direct conflict with the religious leaders in Jerusalem, 
and is calling out the overreach and the violence that he perceives in their leadership. Based on the illusion that I mentioned earlier, we'd be justified in thinking of God as the landowner and the vineyard as God's carefully tended field. In Isaiah, the vineyard would have referred to Israel. For us, we might think of it as the church or as the whole world and all the people who dwell here. Those who are given responsibility for cultivating the vineyard and sharing its fruit, they rebel. Violence against those sent by the owner of the vineyard, God. And after several attempts at giving the tenants the chance to do what was right, the landowner sends his own child who is killed. Tenants want all the produce for themselves, not just in the short term, but in the hopes that the landowner is never really going to come back, they'll just get rid of the heir to the land and keep it all for themselves. Need, control, and violence have entered the vineyard. And then Jesus asks the religious and civic leaders of the day, now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And those who responded unwittingly judged themselves. But notice that it's not Jesus who suggests that the landowner, God, will kill anyone. It shifts the image to the stone that the builders rejected becoming the cornerstone. The one who was thrown out is the one who will be at the center. And then he gets to the core of the matter, saying the kingdom taken away from you and given to a people that produces its fruits. He's saying, in essence, you've tried to steal and hoard God's good gifts through violence. And instead, you've set yourselves up. You have brought this on yourselves. In the parable, you see, the tenants were given chance after chance. It was a generous, a generous landowner who kept coming back and back to try to give them the right thing. And they won't do it. To turn away from greed and control and violence was what was asked. They wouldn't do it. They chose to keep abusing their role as stewards of the vineyard and therefore missing life in the kingdom. It was their choice that led to that loss not God's punishment. And I'm not talking, by the way, about kingdom as an afterlife experience. I'm talking about life in the kingdom in this present life. The way of being, the way of living, the way of being in community that we are called to experience right now as followers of Jesus. Life God requires letting go of certain Things, certain ways of the world that tell us that might makes right, that happiness is found only in hoarding the abundance of possessions, that power or comes from holding on to control with a death grip. It also requires practicing living lives that reflect the life of Christ. And doing those things of the ways of the world that are so powerful, so prevalent, 
and picking up practices that sometimes feel like they're asking more of us than we can really manage, those, those things are difficult. That's a hard to turn, especially when we don't know what the next chapter will bring. But today we have the testimony in Scripture of Paul, who is a powerful example of the change possible through the love and the mercy of Christ. That this change is possible and for a reason. Paul writes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of Jesus as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. Paul beloved community, a congregation in Philippi, and encouraging them to let go of what he calls a petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules. Can I just, a little aside, our faith was about was keeping a list of rules, it would be easy. I mean, I'm just saying, maybe this is obvious to you, but I think sometimes it's helpful to just say the thing. If, if our faith was keeping a list of rules, it would be pretty easy. We would say, you did it, you didn't do it, in, out, done. Some people do that, I think. I think I just said that. <laughs> what Paul is saying is that there's something more than keeping a list of rules. It's a whole new life. A robust comes from trusting Christ. The NRSV puts this, phrase, this verse this way. For, for Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God based on faith. Notice the shift is from a righteousness of my own, righteousness from God. Paul here is relinquishing control, is giving up the notion that he can attain the gifts of God through following the rules, from doing all the things, checking all the boxes, that he can do it on his own, Paul gave up his pedigree, he gave up his outward achievements, all the laurels he could rest on, all the power he had gained. He also, of course, turned away from doing massive violence for following Jesus in his day. He persecuted and killed them. He turned away from violence, he turned away from greed, he turned away from control. He made the choice that, that Jesus was, was preaching about in the parable the choice, and turn toward a new life in Christ, a new life in the kingdom. If you read Paul's story in the scriptures, you'll find that it was a pretty dramatic encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus that got him a new page into new life in the kingdom. It often takes something dramatic to really get us to make a shift. Something has to happen. <laughs> There's got to be that makes us move when we're stuck. 
As many of you know, I took, I took time off for health and spiritual renewal earlier this year. And what's become crystal clear more and more as the time goes by is that without that dramatic break, that dramatic turn away from my habituated ways of thinking and working and choosing, I would still likely be stuck experiencing physical illness and unnecessary grief and dullness and exhaustion. I was sitting in my little cell in the Indian healing village during Lent of this year. It came so clear. It was time to turn the page, to start a new chapter. In my life and my way of ministry, life and ministry. And the phrase floated into my head, but that's a hard page to turn. But today, today, by God's grace, it's happening. I've made the turn. I'm in a different place. Thanks be to God, by God's grace. Boundary Church are in the process. Following the dramatic experiences of the past years, we are turning the page into a new chapter for our life together. We've had an extraordinary beginning to financially support our shared life and ministry in 2024, reaching 47% of our goal of $2.2 million in the first week of the campaign. We are at 47% in the first week of our campaign. It's extraordinary. There's beautiful energy and so much grace and power flowing in and among and through us as we meet in the vision, gatherings, conversations. We are in such a time of profound possibility. Profound possibility. As I mentioned, as we came in today, holding so much, our world is, is bruised and broken. And God's call is falling afresh upon us as Foundry Church and upon all who are seeking a way. God's call is upon us afresh to mend and to care, to be open to change in ourselves and to become agents of change. For We are here to participate in the process and to share our dreams for Foundry Church, yes. And we're called to be good stewards of God's vineyard to relinquish, humbly serve, to watch and pray, to return to God what God is due, and to trust God to help us turn the page into the new life that makes a foundry church a foretaste, kingdom of God on earth, and a participant in the renewal of creation. May it be so. Amen. Amen.